Many people may not know the name Faida Hamdi. She's a former municipal inspector from Tunisia. During her work, she confiscated a roadside vegetable stall and apparently slapped the owner, Mohammed Bouazizi. She was arrested but acquitted 111 days later. It would have been just another incident like in any other country, but in this case it was not. Because in retaliation, Mohammed Bouazizi set himself on fire. And that one incident set in motion the Arab Spring resistance with profound ramifications in which simmering frustrations against an oppressive Islamic government spread around the Arab world. Within six months, more than 100 Tunisians and scores more around the Arab world from Morocco to Saudi Arabia and Iraq had set themselves on fire. Within a month of protests, Abidine Ben Ali, president of Tunisia, fled Tunisia to go to Saudi Arabia. Next, Hosni Mubarak of Egypt went after 18 days of demonstrations at the Cairo's Tahrir Square. Then Muammar Gaddafi in Libya was forced out and eventually killed. NATO got involved, so then it became an international situation. In Algeria, a 19-year-old state of emergency was lifted. In Jordan, Oman, and Kuwait, the Prime Minister and his cabinets were dismissed. Yemen saw the overthrow of Ali Abdullah Saleh and the Prime Minister resigned. In Sudan and Iraq, the leaders promised not to seek another term. All from one act of resistance. Our earliest forefather, Adam, did one act of disobedience, except that in that case it was against what was already a perfect world. And that one act of disobedience set in motion the repercussions that we still face today. This afternoon, in a sermon entitled Willing Compliance, I want to look at the concept of obedience. At the concept of obedience. Let me first give the definition. And the definition is, it is a hearing that takes place under the authority of the speaker that leads into willing compliance with the requests. Now, this was a definition by J.I. Packer, who is a professor in theology at Regent College in Vancouver. But I have modified it a little bit, and as we go along, I'll tell you where exactly and why I modified it. So, first it includes, so it's a hearing that takes place under the authority of the speaker and that leads into willing compliance with the request. So, first thing that should happen is recognition of authority or the Lordship. In the Bible, faith in Jesus Christ is seen as obedience. Unbelief in Jesus Christ is seen as disobedience. So let's read a couple of verses. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 reads, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So obedience to the belief in the gospel is obedience. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message. So not believing in Jesus Christ is seen as disobedience to God. So we have recognition of authority and that is also seen in a local level. So Christian obedience to God is also obedience 
in the local family, in the church, and in our governments. Okay, and I'm not going to give you all the verses about it, but Christian obedience to God is also seen in divinely appointed obedience to authority on earth. But when there's a clash between two authorities, who wins? The higher authority wins. So that's why in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Children, obey your parents. And that's not a period after that, is it? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because the Lord is the higher authority. As long as the parents follow what the parents command is what the Lord also commands, then you follow your parents. But if the parents are commanding something that the Lord is not commanding, then you have to disobey your parents, but obey the Lord. When there is a clash of authority, you have to obey the higher authority. So in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, Peter said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Just like in our government system, if there is a federal law and a state law, and there is a clash between the state law and the federal law, the federal law wins. You have to obey the federal law. So even in the example of Jesus Christ, when there was a clash between his human parents and his father, he obeyed his father. Tony Bubbles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the context is Jesus is 12 years old. And they went to Jerusalem for the feast. Luke chapter 2 verse 49 reads, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So when there was a clash between his human father and his eternal father, he chose to obey the eternal father. And then it says two verses later, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So Jesus submitted himself under parental authority. He submitted himself under Jewish authority. He submitted himself to Mosaic law. He submitted himself to the Roman authority. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Lord of the universe now subjecting himself to local human authority? There's a verse that used to bother me for the longest time. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 and it reads thus. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And I could not get my mind around how Jesus had to learn something. How could an omniscient God have to learn something. And that is because this great and mighty God had to come under the authority of things that he was not under the authority of before. And he chose to come under the authority of his parents. Max Lucado in his book, God Came Near, has these questions for Mary. So he's asking these questions to Mary. What was it like watching him pray? How did he respond when he saw other kids giggling during the service at the synagogue? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you are praying was asleep under your own roof? Did he ever come home with a black eye? 
How did he act when he got his first haircut? Did he have any friends by the name of Judas? Did he do well in school? Did you ever have to scold him? Did he ever have to ask a question about scripture? Did he ever get angry when someone was dishonest with him? Did you ever catch him pensively looking at his flesh on his arm while holding a clod of dirt? Did he ever wake up afraid? Who was his best friend? When someone referred to Satan, how did he act? What did he and his cousin John talk about as kids? Did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? Jesus created Mary, predestined her, chose her before the world began, and then was born through her and then submitted himself under her authority. That is absolutely incredible. And while we struggle with our one inch tall human egos and struggle to submit under human authority, the Lord of the universe learned obedience and was able to submit under human authority. The second aspect that obedience includes is the ability to hear his voice. Let me read the definition again. It is a hearing that takes place under the authority of the speaker and that leads into willing compliance with the requests. Obedience includes first recognizing the authority that we have to obey and secondly the ability to hear his voice which includes revelation and guidance. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord. They did not listen to me or pay attention, and therefore they have not obeyed the Lord. Obedience includes listening to God. How do we listen to God? Through constant communion with God. How do we have constant communion with God? By prayer and fellowship and Bible reading. I'm going to show you a video now. This is from a fight that happened last week. So if you are a UFC fan, this is a fight. I know that most of you are not in the medical field, so if blood, if a little bit of blood on the face bothers you, you can close your eyes, okay? Can we turn off the light so we can see better? (laughs) You can close your eyes because the aim of this illustration is not a visual goal. It's an it's a auditory goal. Okay? And in this fight, which is between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, what I want you to pay attention to is as they are fighting, there are two voices that are being heard. Okay? And the two voices are the voices of the two coaches as they are coaching the fighters during the fight. So in the, in the context of the fight, Try to pay attention to those two voices. And since it is an auditory illustration, feel free to close your eyes. In his corner, Joe is telling him, 
You don't have to go for the takedown right away. Lay on him, wear on him. Watch out for that right elbow of Ortega as Max controls that in inside of his arm. I think it's safe to say this is already the most difficult defense. Oh, yep. yeah. Back to the center of the octagon. All right, so between the, the, the noise of the crowd and the commentators, you could hear two other voices that were the sound of the coaches as they were coaching their players. Now, that's well and good if they know their coaches, right? If the first time you're, you're listening to your coach is when you are in the middle of the fight, that's not gonna work, right? They should have learned to recognize the voice of their coach way before the fight began. It is only after they have recognized the voice of the coach that in the middle of the fight, they are able to recognize the voice of the coach. Far too many Christians seek the voice of God when they are in the heat of the battle and many times they are not able to differentiate between what is their voice and what is God's voice. They come asking for God's will right in the middle of everything when they have to figure out what God's will is and they've never spent time learning to differentiate the voice of God between their own voice. And so we have to have Bible reading and prayer and fellowship way before we are coming to God to find out his will about critical matters. The topic of finding God's will is a huge topic and I'm not going to go into that. That's several days, several hours with all kinds of different uh, aspects of finding God's will. Jesus was in constant communion with his father. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 5 verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by his, himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And both those words are in the present tense. The father does it, the son is doing it at the same time. And that is how our life should be. We are so in communion with God that whatever God is doing, we are doing. The third aspect of obedience is what is willing compliance. Willing compliance. The first one is recognition of authority. The second one is the ability to hear his voice. And the third one is willing compliance. In the original definition by J.I. Packer, the word willing wasn't there. It said just compliance. Now, just compliance is fine from a governmental standpoint. Okay, because if you're driving on the road and there's a speed limit that says 40 miles per hour, the government doesn't care whether you want to obey the laws or not. The government doesn't care. The law is there, you have to obey it, whether you want to or not. But as far as God is concerned, he wants willing compliance. He wants us to choose to obey him. Just like I want my kids to choose to obey me. So in that sense, there are three kinds of obedience. There is the divine obedience. There is a government obedience. 
there is parental obedience. Parental obedience is more like divine obedience than like government obedience. Why? Because in parental obedience, as in divine obedience, there is a relationship. In government obedience, you have no relationship to the government. There is a speed limit, you just follow the speed limit. It doesn't matter how you feel about it, you're not offending anybody. In divine obedience and in parental obedience, there is a relationship. So in those kinds of obedience, we want our kids to choose to obey us. Not because they have to obey us. God wants us to choose to obey him. He wants willing compliance to his requests. Now, I have three reasons why we should choose to obey God. Three reasons why I want my kids to choose to obey me. The first one is knowledge. Why do I want willing compliance? Because of knowledge. Because I want my kids to recognize that I have way more knowledge than they have. There is a huge knowledge gap between me and my 10-year-old son. Over time, that knowledge gap is going to decrease, and that's fine. You know, every parent wants their kid to become bigger and smarter and better than them, and that's fine. But now, because there's a knowledge gap, I want my son to obey me. And the reason for that is, since there's a knowledge gap, and I have more knowledge than my son, I can make better choices for him. He will make stupid choices with the amount of knowledge that he has. And so when it comes to God, God wants us to recognize that we are ignorant enough. The knowledge gap between our knowledge and God's knowledge is so high that we choose to obey God because of our lack of knowledge. The finitude of our wisdom and the infinitude of his wisdom ensures our need for continuous obedience to him. If there's anybody here who likes to go on hiking um, trails, the worst trail in the world is what is called as the death trail in Mount Huashan in China. It is home to the most dangerous hiking trail in the world. It stands more than 2,000 meters tall and is the world's most precipitous mountain under heaven. All trails up this mountain are treacherous, but the worst one is the plank trail to the south mountain. What if you have never been on this trail? Okay, You've never been on this trail, and you're going on this trail for the first time. You need a guide, right? You need somebody to hold your hand and lead you across. My biggest question when I saw this was, who put those planks there? <laughs> Since the path of life is so treacherous and we have no clue about it, we better listen up and follow God and choose to obey him. The second reason why God wants us to choose obedience or have willing compliance is because of trust or faith. I want my kid to choose to obey me because I want them to trust that I have their best interests in my heart. It's not like I'm trying to screw them over. 
I have their best interest in my heart. It may seem right or wrong to them, but if they trust me, then whether they understand why I say certain things or not, they will obey me. God wants us to do the same thing. There may be things that God has told you to do that doesn't make logical sense to you, that seems counterintuitive, counterproductive. But if we understand that there is a knowledge gap between God and us, and if we understand that we can trust God to do what is the best thing for us, then we will obey him willingly. In June 2017, a fire broke out in the 24-story Grenfell Tower in West London. It caused 72 deaths out of 293 people that were recorded present in the building. There were scenes reminiscent of a Hollywood movie. Screams were coming out of the building as people were getting burned. One mother from the ninth floor wrapped up her baby and threw it out the window and after she threw it out the window she fell back and nobody ever heard about her. Now when she threw her baby out the window what do you think she was thinking about? If she had the slightest feeling that her baby would dash against the sidewalk she wouldn't have thrown her baby out. But she trusted that somebody standing there would see a package coming down and would grab it and that's exactly what happened. She trusted somebody to catch that baby. And so she threw her baby out. God wants the best for us and we need to have the faith that he wants the best for us and throw ourselves into his loving arms. The third reason why we need to have willing compliance is love. Because we love God. Because we know God and God wants us to obey him. God wants us to please him. And because we love him, we will please him by obeying him. Jesus was blunt in the way he said it in John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, Keep my commands. In John chapter 5 verse 30 he said, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. So it's fine to obey God when what he wants is what we want. Right? It's, it's great to obey God. So I've got this thing with my kids that if they get straight A's any semester, uh, I'll take them to the store and for $5 worth you can buy any junk food you want and that is your dinner that night. <laughs> so they love that and they want to obey that because that is what they want. When what they want and what I command line up, they love to obey it. The most difficult thing is when what God wants from us is painful. Then it is hard to obey. On a large scale, obedience is seen in major life decisions. But on a smaller scale, obedience is seen in daily decisions of purity. Where we have to choose to suppress 
our animal instincts and choose to obey God. And, and so those daily decisions shows our recognition of authority, our ability to hear his voice and listen to him and willing compliance. And Jesus did all three. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 and 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus learned obedience by submitting himself to humanness, to human authority, and to suffering. He subjected, he learned obedience by subjecting himself to humanness, human authority, and to suffering. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer was profound. Because what he wanted was not what God wanted. What God wanted for him included a lot of suffering. And Jesus agreed to obey the Father. He willingly complied with his requests. I'm going to give a time to respond. So what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups of between five and eight or something. And we're going to answer these three questions. Uh, what aspect of my life is not completely under the Lordship of Christ? Do I practice hearing his voice? If not, how can I improve? And am I willing to be compliant to his commands? Why not? Do I love him and want to please him? Do I trust him? If we can break up into smaller groups, if these are too personal to answer, you don't need to talk it out, but it's just, just to think for us to find out if we are, if we are obedient to God.